So please turn with me to Acts chapter 16 as I read from verse 16. Acts chapter 16, starting at verse 16. As we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune-telling. She followed Paul and us, crying out, These men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And this, kept, and this she kept doing for many days. Paul, having become greatly annoyed, turned and said to the Spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And he came out of her that very hour. Verse 19. But when her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. And when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, These men are Jews and they are disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. And the crowd joined in attacking them, and the magistrates tore the garments off them and gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received his order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for the scriptures. Yes, they are a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. But thank you that they're there to guide us, to help us, and also to teach us how to walk humbly with you and teach us how to walk with you through suffering and pain. And thank you from this passage I read. We can learn from Paul and Silas and Luke as Paul and Silas suffered for preaching the gospel. Help us to hear what your word has to say to our hearts, Father. Please help us to, to wake up out of our complacency, out of our comfort zone, out of our safety, and that we would fix our eyes on Jesus and ask ourselves, are we living his way? Are we doing things his way? Are we witnessing his way? Are we fighting the good fight his way? All for the sake of his name. Please, Father, Help us to hear what your word has to say to our hearts. Our hearts at time could be stiff-necked, stubborn, and wretched. Help us, Father. Be merciful to us as sinner. Please, Father, help me now to be clear and understood as I continue to preach through this lovely book, the book of Acts, this historical account that happened 2,000 years ago. So, Father, please be merciful, be gracious to me. Pray and ask us all in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. This passage shows us how Paul suffered for the sake of Jesus' name. That's what we see in this passage. We see Paul and Silas suffering for Jesus' name. And the question is, are we suffering for the sake of Jesus' name? Now, I don't mean that we must go out there and, and bring suffering upon ourselves and go look for suffering. What I mean is that just in your day-to-day -day living, 
And the opportunities come up for you to confront people with Jesus' name. Do we? Yeah, in this passage we see Paul suffering for Jesus' name. And Jesus himself had told Ananias to go to Paul as a chosen instrument of mine. He's going to carry my name and I'm going to show him how much he's going to suffer for the sake of my name. Who would accept that calling? Would I be here if I was told 10 years ago, Mark, you come to Robertson, you're going to suffer for the sake of my name. Would I have accepted the calling? Do we want to suffer? But Paul tells us, the same Paul that suffered, tells us, indeed, all who desire to live godly lives in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, will suffer. And what I mean by suffering for the sake of Jesus' name, I mean by living godly lives. Just living a normal godly life in this fallen world before fallen people. Letting your words, your conversation be godly and letting your action, your works be godly. Nothing heroic, nothing extraordinary, just being ordinary people. Me as well as your pastor. I've been challenged as I've looked at this passage, to see how these two men, Paul and Silas, how they suffered for the sake of Jesus' name. And the faithful Christian that lives a godly life will receive suffering for the sake of Jesus' name. Now, not every Christian is going to be imprisoned, not every Christian is going to be tortured or martyred for their faith or maligned, Yes, some are, but I'm talking about us. But the one thing that is certain, that is, if we live godly lives, we must expect opposition from the world. And when that opposition becomes severe, it's going to bring suffering. And like I said, this is what we see here. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, when Christ calls a man, he bids him to come and die. Deny yourself. Take up a cross daily and follow Christ. Dietrich said this as well. The only man, he said, who has the right to say he is justified by grace alone is the man who has left all to follow Christ. Have we left all to follow Christ? Deny ourselves. Take up our cross daily and follow Christ. I'm not saying we must now go and do silly things. I'm just asking ourselves, are we just living simple, ordinary Christian lives before this world? Godly lives, through our words and through our works. To follow Jesus is going to cost us. If we are following Him sincerely and genuinely, He suffered. Jesus didn't hesitate to tell us, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. He's not telling us now we must hate people. He's telling us if these people are more important than me and they're more at the center of my life, that's what he's telling us. Then there's something wrong. Christ must be above everything. He must be at the center of our life. 
He is number one. He is more important than our biological parents, our sisters, our brothers, etc. Whoever does not carry his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. So whose cross are we carrying today? As we go out into the world, whose cross are we carrying? Is it Christ plus our cross or is it Christ's cross alone? But let's just turn this whole thing upside down. It is actually very, very encouraging to suffer for Christ. And I was thinking, Mark, you're mad. I don't want to suffer. Come on, how can, how can suffering be encouraging? It's discouraging. It's despondency. It, it brings faint-heartedness to your soul. No, it is encouraging. Because you know what? When you're in a bad situation... Good comes out And for the good of the people that are watching us, that are looking in on our lives to see that they want to see Christ in you as you suffer. They want to see Christ suffering in you. Think about it. Jesus suffered on the cross. It was bad. But he did it. And good came out. Ah, salvation. We are not just called to proclaim a gospel. We are called to live and proclaim a gospel. That is, it's encouraging to know that when people slander our names, when people attack us verbally, we can suffer for Christ and something good can come out of it. That is encouraging. Life was hard for Jesus. It was a life of suffering. And if it was a life of suffering for Jesus, why should we be exempt from suffering? Like I said, we need to know this, that we will suffer for the sake of Jesus' name if we're walking faithfully and humbly and obediently with Jesus, walking as true followers of Jesus. I'm not saying perfect followers. We, we're not perfect. But we can we can. We can Give it our best to be godly. So I just want to look at two things this morning. Two things in Paul's life from Acts chapter 16. And it was in Silas's life as well, so let's not forget him. But I'm going to just focus on Paul. And I want us to look at two things that brought about suffering in Paul's life. Brought about suffering for the sake of Jesus' name. For us to see that suffering... For the sake of Jesus' name is real. It's true. And the first thing that brought about suffering to Paul's life was he took risks. Are we taking risks for Jesus? What is risk? John Piper defines risk very simply. As an action that exposes you to the possibility of loss or injury. You could take a risk in investing money on the stock market. If you lose it, it can bring suffering. Matrix or writing exams, I know some of the grade 10s, grade 11s, grade 12s or writing exams. 
They might decide they want to cheat. Get caught, going to bring suffering. Or you decide you're going to help a friend who's in a financial difficulty. And he says, don't worry Mark, I'll pay you back. Once I get out of this financial difficulty, I'll pay you back the money you loan me. Great. It might not happen. It might bring suffering. There are risks. Beautiful quote from reading around this. Christ overcame by the way of the cross and he sets the pattern for his followers. Christ overcame by the way of the cross and he set the pattern for his followers. And we know that way was suffering. And people that follow, they face grim days. Maybe we don't face grim days because we don't honor, glorify, magnify Christ when we need to. When it might bring on a little bit of suffering. We don't take that risk and speak to people boldly about Christ. I'm not saying now we must take the Bible and bash people over the head. I'm not saying we must take the Bible and, and, and corner someone. It should happen naturally. We're living, we, we're no longer our own. We've been bought, brought with the precious blood, bought with the precious blood of Christ. We're not our own. Our body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. We should be living for the glory of God. It's amazing. And I'm the same. When someone says negative, something negative about our children, we take a risk and we take those people out because we do lose friendships. But when someone says negative about the Bible or about Christ, we never take a risk and take them on. We just sometimes just, you know, I'm not going to create conflict here. I'll just walk away. Be at peace. If you're ashamed of Christ, He's going to be ashamed of you. And yeah, in Acts chapter 16, verses 16 to 18, we see risk in Paul's life that leads to suffering. Did Paul know this would happen? Probably yes and no. Because we, we, we heard that, that, that Jesus told Ananias to go and tell Paul that he is going to suffer for the sake of my name. He's going to carry my name and he's going to suffer for the sake of my name. Paul probably knew that when he comes to these towns, he's going to suffer in some way. But he didn't know how, or when, or from whom. So Paul goes back and forth from the river, the place of prayer where he witnessed to Lydia. He probably went there back and forth, fellowshiped with them, shared the word with them. Lydia was saved, probably went back there and, and taught them more of the scriptures. And while, while he was going back and forth, a slave girl who was possessed by a demon who had a spirit of divination confronted him. Basically, she was a medium in contact with demons and because of this, she was making lots of money for her owners. She was a fortune teller. She was telling people their fortunes. Nothing good can come out of that, to be honest with you. So if you still read your horoscopes, you still count your lucky stars, you're caught up in superstition. You're caught up in idolatry. You say, you know what, God, Christ, you're not good for me. I can get my future out of the lucky stars, out of the lucky horoscopes. What we can really say is that as God was using Paul to evangelize and to get a church going in Philippi, which the letters of the Philippians, the Church of Philippi, 
Guess who's going to oppose his work? Satan. So you can say Satan here is going to now oppose Paul through a slave girl. The evil spirit within her knew who these people were. Remember, the focus is not on the slave girl. The focus is on who is in her. That's why she could say some of these things. She could identify the travellers. These men are the servants of the Most High. Because where did Satan fall from? The heavens. And every time Jesus confronted demons, they said, Wow, what what have you got to do with us now, Son of God? What are you going to do to us? James talks about the demons believe and they shudder. She also knew the true nature of their mission. They proclaimed to you the way of salvation. Satan knows that. But Paul knows Satan is the father of lies. And there are times when he will speak truth for a second. And the rest is just lies. Because he disguises himself as an angel of light. And we also need to know that salvation in Paul's time was the object of vows and prayers to many gods in the Greco-Roman world. So she she could be having a message shouting, these men are the servants of the Most High, they proclaim to you the way of salvation. She could be bringing confusion and she could be bringing doubt to people. She probably didn't know what she was talking about really. She was bringing a, a, a pagan fashion way of, of salvation. Because remember, the focus is on who is in her, not her. Because Paul eventually becomes annoyed. He becomes disturbed with inside him. He actually grieves for what's going on. Because people are lost. We should grieve. We should be annoyed. We should be disturbed. What's going on in people's hearts and lives. And that should encourage us to take the gospel to them. That can only save them. From this lost world. And being lost within themselves. And eventually Paul says to the evil spirit. I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And he came out that very hour. Notice I said, Paul didn't say anything to the girl. He didn't say, come, slave girl, let's sit down now. I want to explain the way. I want to talk to you. He went directly to what was in her heart. We've got no idea if she was saved. Doesn't say anything about her salvation. We're just showing how Paul confronts wickedness. The demons with God's word alone. It's the power of God's word to do the work. And Paul says, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. He's talking to the the demon that is in her. And the demon leaves her. And there was risk in that because Paul and Silas and his team are called to be witnesses for Jesus. And witnesses is not just always proclaiming the gospel, it's also helping people see the wrong that is in their lives. You might have an unbeliever who likes to to cheat in his business. doesn't mean now you have to go and take the gospel to him and share the gospel, but you could take your Christian ethics to him, your your worldview to him and talk to him nicely and say, "This this is wrong. Help him to bring up his moral standard. 
Then you might have opportunities to claim a witness. But you will suffer for taking in the truth. There's a lot of people that call themselves Christians who actually lie a lot. I've come across a lot of Christians who lie. That's the one thing God hates, is a liar. I was reading a book on parenting way back by John MacArthur. And when his children lied, that was the sin they got the severest punishment for. Because Satan lies. God hates a liar. Help our children not to exaggerate and lie. Help them to be real with things around us. But Paul is a a witness for Jesus and in his faithfulness and obedience to his apostolic authority, his apostolic calling, he casts out demons no matter what the cost may be. What Paul was doing here, it showed that he was one of Jesus' apostles. This marked Christ's apostles. And Mark chapter 3, verse 15, it says that Jesus gave some of his disciples and apostles the authority to cast out demons. But the focus isn't on that. The focus is on look at the power of God. And if we just trusted the Bible and the Scriptures and, and God's Word in taking it to people's lives, we would see a lot more people being saved and transformed by the grace of God. What Paul did here, he took a risk to magnify Christ in his life by saying to this woman, slave girl, and talking through her to the demon by casting out the demon. Think of John the Baptist. He took risk by calling King Herod an adulterer when when he divorced his wife in order to take his brother's wife. The risk got him his head chopped off. It cost him his life. But he did right to risk his life for the cause of God and his truth. Yeah, Paul did right to risk his life for the cause of Jesus and his truth. Are we taking risks and doing what is right in this world for the cause and the sake of Jesus' name and his truth? Like I said, the evil spirit leaves this woman. Paul probably knew now, whoa. Something's going to follow. Because she was working for someone. She was earning money for someone. Paul didn't know where his next suffering would come from. He didn't know who, who it would come from, when it would come, and what form it would come in. But he knew it's going to be ramifications. I remember just going back to Acts chapter 20, verse 23. The Holy Spirit testifies to Paul in every city that, in, that imprisonments and afflictions await me. I said to Mornay, Mornay, God has called you to go and witness in McGregor tomorrow. You're going to save five, six people. They're going to hear the gospel but you. Are going to be martyred. Will Mornay go? Will he lay down his life for his brothers and sisters? Will he lay down his life for Christ? Will I lay down my life for Christ? Will we go? 
Let's look at our second thing. And the second thing that brought about suffering to Paul's life was persecution. There was risk, now suffering. Persecution follows. And by the word persecution, I mean cruel and unfair treatment of a person or group, especially because of their religious belief. I mean, we know persecution can come through like a belief. I, a stormless supporter, walk into the Blue Bulls arena and I go there and I stand amongst the Blue Bulls and I just start talking, oh, you guys play rubbish rugby and be the best and I stormless. They're going to persecute me. They'll hit me over the head with a beer bottle and they'll throw me out. It's the same thing for Jesus. No matter what group you're in, once you stand up for the truth and you bring, you can bring God's name into everything. It's amazing. When we talk about things, we can bring God's name into it. But as soon as you mention Jesus Christ, wow, it's a big, it's a different reaction to people's mentality. They don't like that name. God is a universal name. All these world, all different world religions use God or Lord as well. But as soon as you bring Christ, there's a different approach. You get opposed. You get beaten up. And Jesus himself said, A servant is no greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. So are you, you, and I to say we exempt from being persecuted, from suffering. And was Jesus persecuted? Yes, unfairly, unjustly. False witnesses opposed him. And the same thing will happen to us. The same thing happened to Paul. Always false witnesses. Always people of lies. Why? Because that's Satan's tactic. To break down the truth. To undermine the truth that is in our minds. But those who live obedient and faithful lives before Christ Jesus, who walk in the same way as Jesus walked, will attract the same hostility that he did. They will attract opposition as he did. You don't have to go looking for opposition. It will come naturally as you stand up for the truth, as you take risks. So persecution will come. And here, in verses 19 to 24, we see that second thing coming alive. In verses 19 to 24 of Acts chapter 16, Paul attracts opposition for the risk he took, for being a faithful witness for Jesus, by casting out demon in the name of Jesus which exposed him to the possibility of injury or loss. Verse 19. But when his owners saw their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. They weren't concerned for this girl, for her well-being. They were concerned by one thing, the bottom line. The back pocket. Money. Paul said, and tells us, that the love of money is the root of all sorts of evil. These, these, these guys are fed up. Their wage is just going to go down. No more profit. No more money. If you think this thing only happens in the Bible, well, it happens outside the Bible as well. Think of Martin Luther. Yesterday was the 31st of October, wasn't it? It was Reformation Day. 
in 1517, 31st of October, Martin Luther nailed 95 pieces to the door in Wittenberg. And what did it cost Roman Catholicism, the Roman Church? It was money. Because they were selling indulgence. They were making money. That was going to cost them. They wanted Martin Luther. They wanted his head. They wanted him to be martyred. He had to recant. But God in his providence and sovereignty took him away and hid him for a year. He took a risk for the gospel. It didn't cost him. God saved him. But here, it costs Paul and Silas. You might be asking, why isn't Luke and, 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 and Timothy involved here? Because they are Gentiles. Luke's a Gentile, and Timothy is a half-Jew, half-Gentile. So they weren't interested. They were interested in these two Jewish men. And they prided themselves in, in, in being Roman, these Philippians, or these, Philipp- these guys from Philippi. They, they, they say there, these men are Jews. And the Romans did not like the Jews. They prided themselves on being Roman. So these men accused Paul and Silas of being Jews. They used this to their advantage because Paul and Silas, who were Jewish, were trying to make people believe a religion that was not approved by Rome. Again, they didn't go to, they didn't go to the Roman authorities and say, listen, we have this new religion, will you approve it so we now can share it with the people? They took risks. They trusted in God. They walked by faith, not by sight. And now these men come up against Paul. They tear their clothes off. They bring in false witnesses, enough to manipulate a reaction and stir up the crowd in the marketplace. They did the same thing for Jesus. Pontius Pilate, should we release Jesus? No. Release one of the prisoners, rather. Crucify him. And the crowd just carried on shouting, crucify him, crucify him. All from false witnesses. And yeah, the crowd are stirred up to beat them with rods, with short sticks that cut them open. Brought about bleeding. Bruised them. The, the, the language here is quite violent. They, they didn't just walk them gently. They dragged them into the marketplace. They probably pulled them by the scuff of their neck and dragged them into the marketplace. Threw them into the marketplace. Falsely accused them. And then gave orders to beat them with rods. And there they inflicted not one or two blows, many blows, which could have brought about death. We don't know how many went to the head. But we know when we get into the next passage that, that they were wounded, they were bleeding. And if you hear next week, we will look at how we found joy in suffering. That is amazing. How Paul and Silas rejoiced in their suffering. How they sang songs. How do we find joy in suffering? 
Well, if you're here next week, we will look at that. But Paul knew that he was willing to suffer for Christ. Because only good can come out of it. We read read Peter wrote, This is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For this we have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example, so that you might follow in his steps. And someone said, If we do not learn with Paul the Christ-exalting paradoxes of life, we will squander our days pursuing bubbles that burst. Paul lived as sorrowful yet always rejoicing, as poor yet making many rich, as having nothing yet possessing everything. The Calvary road is costly and painful, but it's not joyless. But we'll look at that next week. I'll read another quote from, from this book. It talks about suffering. And this comes from the book of Revelation. To conquer as followers of Christ is to suffer for the gospel, placing the eternal well-being of others, even enemies, ahead of our own earthly good. Do we find ourselves living like that? Peter wrote, To this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example, so that you might follow in his steps. Have we been called to suffer? Yes. Don't try to build safety around. It's a myth. God is in control of your life. You know what I love? The sovereignty of God. You might think this is stupid, but people say they don't want to leave their homes because of this virus. They leave their homes as a risk of them getting the virus. What stops God from giving them the virus? God is sovereign. You don't have to leave your home to get the virus. God can give it to you there, in your lounge, all on your own. Because He's sovereign. We think we can duck and dive God. We think we can duck and dive and create safe havens for ourselves, forgetting that God is watching our steps and directing our steps. We have no control over our lives. God is completely sovereign over our lives. And we need to know that we need to suffer for Christ. Like Jesus, we will often make our greatest spiritual impact on the world by suffering loss out of obedience and faith. But we don't see that in our lives. I remember how Paul, we'll see that when we get to Acts 21, when Agabus he, 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 he begged with Paul, don't go to Jerusalem, Paul. You go there, you're going to suffer, you're going to get imprisoned, you're going to get beaten. And Paul actually started weeping. They didn't see that he's been called to suffer for Christ. And he said to them, I'm ready not only to be imprisoned, but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let the will of the Lord be done. Do you wake up every morning and get out of bed and say, Today, let the will of the Lord be done. I don't think so. I think, let the, Lord, let the will of my will be done. 
Lord, this is my day. Please make sure it's in line. Do we walk by faith today? When Jesus returns, will he find faith on this earth? I'm just asking questions. These two things from Paul's life that we looked at this morning, from Acts chapter 16, verses 16 to 24, that brought about suffering in Paul's life. Suffering for the sake of Jesus' name. That is, risk and persecution. Will we be challenged to walk faithfully and obediently and humbly with Jesus? Will we be strong and courageous? Will we be bold to fight the good fight for the sake of Jesus' name and suffer for the sake of Jesus' name? And we can. You know why we can? Because Jesus said that we can do all things through Him who strengthens us. Do we, do we actually embrace that verse? Or is it just a cliche when someone's in trouble? You know what? There's a lovely verse. You can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. Do we, do we actually trust God's word, embrace the promises of Scripture, not the blessings and the things we want to fix our eyes on, but on this word? And another promise in that same beautiful book of Philippians. Paul wrote the book of Philippians from prison. He was imprisoned. Not sitting in five-star hotel with, with aircon and, and a four-course meal. He said as well, God will supply every need of ours according to the riches and glory in Christ Jesus in our suffering. Because this life is not about this earth. It's about the new heavens and new earth. Our hope and our future is in Christ Jesus. And is this easy? No. It is extremely hard. But by the grace of God, we can endure together as a body of believers, as a family of believers. We can encourage one another. We can stir each other up to finish this race. And at the same time, suffer for the sake of Jesus' name. We need each other. To help each other through this dark world. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the sacred scriptures. We thank you that your word is here to, to build us up, to encourage us, to make us strong and courageous for this, this perverse world that we live in. But help us, Father, to trust you. Help us to know that we can do all things through you who strengthens us. And you will supply all our needs according to the riches of glory in Christ Jesus. Help us, Father, just to, to understand this and embrace these sacred scriptures. That you are a faithful God, a compassionate God, a long-suffering God. But help us, Father, to go out there this week and to, to look if we are willing to be challenged and take a risk and maybe even suffer for it. Father, we don't have to be living in a land where we are being persecuted or we live in a land where there's freedom of religion and that should give us more reason to talk about Christ openly and suffer for it. Help us, Father. Help all the pastors to preach faithfully from the pulpits, Christ crucified. Help us to go out there and, and proclaim and be a witness of Jesus' things he's told us to witness about. His life and his death and his burial and his resurrection and his ascension. 
all about him crucified. Help us, Father. Please give us the wisdom to hold fast the gospel of Christ, to go out there and to, to, to speak boldly the things of Christ. Father, we also, we also know Paul was this great apostle, but he too didn't count on his own abilities. We know that when he, was, when he asked the church of Colossae, he asked them that they would pray for him, that God may open to them a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which he is in prison for. And that they would also pray that Paul and them would walk in wisdom and, and, and exercise wisdom towards outsiders, making the best use of the time. And let their speech be gracious, seasoned with salt, so they may know how they ought to answer each person. Father, help us. If Paul prayed for this, how much do we need to pray and ask you to help us to be bold as you open up doors for us to preach forth the mystery of Christ? Father, please forgive us. Be merciful to us. Pray not this all in Jesus' name. Amen.